Tonight, we're going to have a, the title of this evening's message is How Can We Prevent Being Tempted? Our futures have never been seen as certain or predictable, and sometimes we think we can predict what is going to happen in the future. We can even change it ourselves without the circumstances changing around us. As Christians, we must remind ourselves that we are in a spiritual battle and our adversary, the devil, is seeking whom he may devour, studying us, trying to bring us down and to stop our effectiveness as a Christian. Tonight, we'll look at how our temptation sometimes arises in our lives. I just realised I didn't turn that on. Sorry. Here we go. So if you could please turn in your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 11 and verse 1 to 4. And you might be looking at this picture and thinking, what has this got to do with the message? Well, for some of us, uh, we know this is a famous study that was done in the 50s and 60s. And it was a study done to test children on if they could wait for three minutes. They wouldn't have one marshmallow, they would have three marshmallows. And so this is sort of a modern way of temptation. Will you give in or will you get a greater reward? So tonight we're going to have a look at David and the temptation that he faced. Although we may be tempted like David or have, dev- have devastating effects from our sin, we must realise the devil, the devil knows we have different weaknesses and he will take us away from our purpose as Christians to be an effective witness from the Lord's word and in testimony. So let's read Second Samuel verse. Chapter 11, verses 1 to 4. And it came to pass, after the year was expired, at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him, and all Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon, and besieged Rahar, but David tarried still, in Jerusalem. And it came to pass in an evening tide that David arose from off his bed and he walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself. And the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired after the woman. The one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Elam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And David sent the messengers and took her, and she came in unto him, and he lay with her, and she was purified from her uncleanliness, and she returned unto her house. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, just ask as we look at this passage that you would give me the the strength and the power to be able to illustrate what I believe that you have taught me through your scriptures. And may we all be able to understand 
the principles from the Word of God that we may be able to benefit from uh, this story, dear Lord. So we commit these things to you now. Amen. Now, our first point that I want us to uh, look at is what circumstances make us vulnerable to fall into temptation? That's all right. If it doesn't play up, then we just keep going. So, some preachers may say that David was not where he was meant to be and that he fell into, te- that he fell into sin. But there are many times when we find ourselves not in the normal schedule. That doesn't give us a, an excuse to fall into sin. We don't know why David was not at war. But the main thing we do know was he was out of routine. That's just to show falling into temptation. Obviously, there's something that has come across and he's fallen. There's David. He was being out of routine. He was not where he normally would be. The Bible is not clear why he did not go to war. But we must note that he decided to take some time out. In verse 1, it makes it clear at the end of verse 1, but David tarried still in Jerusalem. There could have been many different reasons why he stated. Was he maybe injured? If you read the chapters earlier, they had been uh, fighting many wars before. And if you follow sport like me, there's sometimes why you're wondering why a good player is not playing and it's because they're injured. Maybe he wasn't up to scratch. Maybe there were some tasks that he had to do at home. Being the king, maybe there's some administrative things that he needed to take care of. There's some things that he needed to do. Or could it maybe be that he had delegated It obviously says there in verse 1, David sent Joab. He had maybe trained his men to be able to take warfare without him. The main thing that I want us to realise is was David was out of routine. And this can be one of the things that leads us to sometimes falling into temptation, being out of the norm. Something else I want us to look at is in verse 2, he was weary or restless. Now, if you look in verse 2, it tells us, halfway through, David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with if you're struggling to sleep. Sometimes you get out of bed, go for a walk. Um, some of us men might go to the fridge and find if there's something to, you know, um, help us sleep, but really just help us think about something else. And there was nothing wrong with him getting up and going for a walk. But the question is, sometimes with our minds... Do we work so hard and put ourselves under so much stress that we become a little bit restless? We become a little bit weary. In a sense, you need to prepare yourself to be able to rest. Are we putting so many burdens on in our life that we're becoming restless and we can't sleep? And that's affecting us in other ways. 
David was restless with something in the day he struggled with and he struggled to wire down. Do you find yourself at times weary and unable to rest? Does your work bring you to a place of temptation because you have given all your energy to your work and has left a door open ready for Satan to attack us because we're weak and we're tired? Are you possibly like a soldier who has a sword in his hand and he's been fighting so long that he can barely let go of that sword because he's been fighting so long? It's obviously been known that people that used to fight with the sword, that they say that it claved to their hand and they were just like very hard to get rid of. Are we letting our work and things ahead of us weary us so that we cannot have proper rest? Satan is ready to tempt us with sins or sins and once... And once hold to us and is the interest of what sin might be and that we may never had the chance to savour. I want us to move to another passage, Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 29 to 32. And I just want to have a look at a vice that we may face. And the reason why I want to have a look at this vice is because often when we are out of routine, often when we're a little bit weary and restless and struggle to maybe being able to rest, we sometimes seek refuge in things that we may struggle with. And as we can find out, this was something at night. So I want us to look at the example here in Proverbs chapter 23, verse 29 to 32. Why do people turn to vices? And more specifically, how can we tell that this vice that we're going to talk about is alcohol and the effects that alcohol or vices have on us? So let's read through this scripture in Proverbs chapter 23, and verse 29 to 32. Who hath woe? Who hath sorrow? Who hath contentions? Who hath babbling? Who hath wounds without cause? Who hath redness of eyes? They that tarry long at the wine, they that go to seek mixed wine, look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth colour in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. At the last it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. Verse 29 tells us a list of different things why people might seek refuge in alcohol. It says here, you know, those that have woe, those that have sorrow, contentions. There's obviously things they're trying to, to, to work through, to cover up, to, to, to escape. Are there things within our life that we go to to escape because we have become weary, we have overburdened ourselves? In verse 31, it shows us how we can tell that it was alcohol and not just normal grape juice. It says specifically about its colour. It says about how it moves. It's not 
the same as normal type of juices. And then, more importantly, it talks about the effect that it has on us. Do you feel good after you have given in to the temptation of your vice? The next day, do you feel like, oh, that was refreshing? Or do you feel worse than what you were originally? That hope that you had, and you're like, oh, I don't feel so good anymore. And that's what Satan, he wants to have that hope, but it's emptiness, just like alcohol can be. And I just wanted to use that as an example. You might not struggle with alcohol. You might not even think um, that you've never drunk alcohol before. But as Christians, I believe this is something that we need to steer clear away from because this is something that is very clear that the Bible says here, it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. And the next verse leads on to other vices that can be a problem. David was ready for Satan's attack because he was out of routine. He was weary and restless. But the next thing I want us to understand was he was alone. Got a little serpent there. Now before I talk about him being alone, I want to tell you a little story. I want to tell you a little story when I was a little boy of the story of a snake. <laughs> and at the time, we were, as a family, we were having a holiday down at Nara. We did live in Adelaide at the time. Um, we have, weren't visiting the Shillabeers because I don't think the Shillabeers were there at that time. I think it was um, uh, Pastor Harris, not the Pastor Harris down in Wollongong, his father. And um, we were staying at this caravan park. And I remember my sister, my older sister and I, we were sort of near the caravan park and we were allowed to sort of go for a bit of a walk. Um, I think I was probably maybe about nine, maybe ten. And we sort of, sort of were going for a bit of a walk. Um, and I think there was sort of a bit of a, a river, you know, the river that you go over when you go through the bridge. Well, the caravan park was on the north side of Nara. And so we're going towards sort of near where the river was. And we, we actually asked our parents. We weren't exactly going and doing this of our own volition. And um, I think my sister went one way and then I was going another way. We're still in the caravan park. And I don't know about you, but I am really scared of snakes. <laughs> I don't like snakes. And... I hadn't normally seen many snakes apart from when you go to the zoo, you know, they're all in the glass case and you can see them and, you know, you avoid them and all the rest. But for the first, maybe not the first time, but one of the very few times, and I can specifically remember it more clearer than other times, I saw this snake. I don't know what type of snake it was. All I know is kind of black and it had a different pattern on it. It's probably more likely to be a python or something. And I remember looking at the snake 
And I didn't stick around. <laughs> I ran. <laughs> I ran back to sort of where, uh, well, not exactly back to the cabin where we were staying, but sort of back to try and find my sister. And I made sure I was not anywhere clear of near at the back of that caravan where that snake was. And the reason why I share that story is that sometimes we can be like David. We can be in a place where we're not normally. We can be a little bit out of routine. And um, we may be a little bit restless. We may be a little bit weary. may not be. Um, We may be alone, like I was. But when we see different things that tempt us, we need to see it like that snake. Now, you might not be scared of snakes. You might be like some of my friends that like to hold snakes and had pet snakes. But the element is, when there's danger, we need to hit the road. We need to get going. So, the things that we have looked at was that, number one, David, he was out of routine. Number two, he was restless and weary. And the last, the next thing I want, not last, but the next thing I want to point out was he was alone. Now sometimes being alone is not a problem, but this can sometimes be a, the ideal time when we can really be tempted. We don't have someone to guide us away, to give us guidance of what we should do, or maybe we should think about what we are going to do. Just because we're alone doesn't mean necessarily that that is a problem, but we need to be aware of these things. Would have David looked at that woman if he was not by himself? What if he maybe thought about changing his direction? Would he feel pressured? And sometimes by being alone and being out of routine and sometimes being a little bit restless and wanting rest, we can turn to things that we might not quite do if we were with someone. And that's the point I want to make. Satan is looking for these opportunities. I don't know if you've ever seen the video where there's like a, a snake and um, he sees like a, a mouse or a chicken in, in a cage and they've set up this little piece of string with a loop. And so the snake goes through. And then what happens is, when he pulls back, it grabs him. And then what takes place is the snake is trapped. And sometimes that can be like us. We think things are harmless, and we go to go to the prize that we think will give us relief or help us, and then we find ourselves trapped. 
The next, as we look through circumstances that may make us vulnerable into falling in temptation, being out of routine, being weary or restless, being alone. And now I want to move on. Whoa. There we go. Got the whole thing there. All right. Why did David not flee from the temptation when he saw it was there? Why did he not flee? Well, sometimes we don't really see that it's a problem. We don't really think that there is any trouble of what is taking place. Often the world tells us, that's, that's not a problem. That's not going to hurt you. What's wrong with that? And Satan is going to say the exact same lies. He's going to say, don't worry about it. If you don't hurt anyone, if you don't hurt yourself, then how is that wrong? And maybe that was something that David was thinking about. He didn't see the danger in the temptation. He didn't see what could be a problem with it. Are you enjoying your lusts? No one's around. The circumstances are right. And you are there. You're like a child, ready to eat lollies from a stranger. This seems perfect, only to realise the temptation leaves you in a bad situation. The world says, you can look, but don't touch. But that's not what the Bible says. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 28, we can see what the Bible says about what we should be doing. So, In Matthew chapter 5, verse 28, it says, But I say unto you, that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. This is a hard thing, but this is what the Bible says. And you might say, well, you know what? David didn't know about that. That's what Jesus said. But you know what David did know? If you turn to Job chapter 31 and verse 1, and if you know anything about Bible trivia, Job was the first completed book of the Bible. And being a king, he's probably already read this before. And this is what Job said. In Job chapter 31 and verse 1, it says, I made a covenant with my eyes, Why then should I think upon a maid? David would have known that. But you often don't think of these things when you've got something that that you are happy about, what you're enjoying. You don't really see the problem. It doesn't matter what we know, who we are. But we don't pay attention to to the Bible. We are a fool. In Psalm chapter 14, verse 1, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. 
Are we trying to use our understanding or are we trying to use what God has given us through the word of God? Something else I want us to understand, he might not have seen the danger. He maybe thought that he could control his temptation. These are some of the reasons why we don't flee from temptation. Can you think, I can control it, I can keep it underhand, don't worry about it. I know, I know how to deal with this. I've been in this situation before. And sometimes this can be similar to many different vices, but a vice I might mention is gambling. In Australia, we, we love to gamble. There's a lot of gambling. And maybe it's our Irish roots. And um, it's okay to put $2 on the Melbourne Cup. You know, it's only once a year. It's something... But is that really what we should be doing? Is, it, is that possibly leading us to do something that we shouldn't do? Oh, it's okay if you just do a little bit of gambling because everyone has things that they enjoy. You know, some people go out and they have a nice feed. You're just putting a little bit of money aside because that's what you enjoy. And so much so that the government has started putting out these ads, you lose more than what you win. Now, I wonder why they're doing that. Maybe because they worked out after many, many, many years of letting people do what they want that they realised that gambling's not a good thing and it's leading bigger problems. And this could be certain vices that we have or certain temptations that we fall in. They may start small. We don't think that they are a problem. We don't think that they can get out of hand because we think we can control them. But we can be like David and be in a situation where we've fooled ourselves. In James chapter 1, in verse 15, it talks about when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Lust is like our desires. We don't need to give in to the temptation. But when we do, we need to confess it. We need to ask the Lord to help us to overcome it. What circumstances might find us vulnerable, falling into temptation, being out of routine, being weary, being alone. But we need to flee from that temptation. We need not to think that we can beat the temptation. We need to understand that the temptation is dangerous. And the next point is we need to take responsibility when we fall into temptation. Another modern way of saying it is you've got to own it. When you make a mistake, you've got to own it. Let's turn to 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9. And this is the first thing that we need to do when we do make a mistake. Because we all are going to make mistakes. You could just ask my wife how many mistakes I make. She ran out of ink. <laughs> in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9 it says, If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's just like you have a grape of, I mean, a cup or glass of juice and it spills on the carpet. It might even be water. What's the first thing you're going to do? You're going to be running to find something to mop up that mess. So hopefully it won't stain. 
And so it is when we fall into temptation. The quicker that we confess and repent, the less of the stain that will be left. It's important that we ask the Lord to forgive us and to move on. Instead of blaming the temptation, downplaying what we've done wrong, the world goes around and they redefine things so they're not sin. It's called relative reasoning. Some may even say wokeness. Oh, that's, that's, that's not a sin. You can't say that. That's, that's, just, that's just the way people do things, you know? You've got to accept You've got to accept what people do. Do you? Or do you follow the Bible? As a Christian, it doesn't matter what you say because as an independent fundamental Baptist, this is our guide, the Word of God. It's not what the preacher says if he doesn't follow the Bible. It's not how you can come up with a great explanation. It's not what a song says. It's not what you've heard for many years. If it doesn't match up with the Bible, I'm sorry, it's not true. It's not true. Justifying sin is what David might have done. And we can justify sin too. He didn't ask for the woman to come out. It just happened. David could have come out, say, an hour later and he might not have been tempted. All the same circumstances, he might not have been tempted. But sometimes we use excuses instead of owning and taking responsibility of the situation. What did Eve do? Serpent, he tricked me, it's not fair. Are we, are we looking to, to blame other people so we don't get in trouble? Or are we like, sorry, I made a mistake. I did the wrong thing. I don't, I'm trying to clean up the mess. Later, if we read through the chapter, we can see that David didn't exactly own his mistake. And the real question we should be asking in owning temptation, why didn't David flee? Why didn't he ask for maybe someone, if you feel vulnerable, ask for accountability? And the thing that seems to, to baffle me a little bit is that David knew that having circumstances go your way doesn't mean you just do what you want to do. If you look at the book before, he had two opportunities to kill Saul. But he didn't kill Saul because he knew it wasn't the right thing to do. But this time, he's had circumstances that have fell in his lust or his favour and we all have circumstances that fall in our favour and the world gets, oh, I can't believe this is great. What are the chances? But as Christians, we need to flee. We need to walk away from these temptations. So it's not like David didn't know that when there's 
circumstances doesn't mean that we should be going a certain way. Sometimes we may blame God. These circumstances were here. This was not my fault. I had no control. But what does James, James chapter 1 and verse 13 say? In James chapter 1 and verse 13, it talks about saying, if we blame God. James chapter 1 and verse 13, it says, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. God doesn't tempt us. David needs to make the decision to flee. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13 it says, Here hath no temptation taken you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that ye may be able to bear it. If he didn't take the escape, what do you expect? You might be in a situation and you're trying to blame other people and you're not trying to admit that it's a wrong thing. And you know as if, I never had any idea. And sometimes as parents or People in authority, you're like, there was like bright yellow flashing lights and what, you had something over your eyes that you couldn't see them? You, yes, I had no idea. I really didn't know. Oh, really? <laughs> and we might look at people that are younger and say, you know, Honestly, I just I just can't work out how that worker at work he just he just doesn't see it. Like you know, if you walk close enough, he'd walk right in front of him, and you know he might hit himself. But we can be immature at times, where there's things that we know, and we decide to just ah, just justify it's not really a problem, and we miss it. The last point that I want to make, and just before I get to that, David in verse 4 had a chance to change. He sent for a messenger. He had all the time of thinking about getting a messenger to change his action. In fact, all the time that the messenger would have taken to ask Bathsheba to come up, and I don't know about you, but women don't always take, some are quick, some aren't. So there would have been some time for him to think about it. But sometimes we get so consumed with our temptation that we completely lose track of common sense. The last point. The main thing that he didn't realise was he forgot what God had given him. And sometimes we forget what God has given us. We're consumed at what your lust, the joy that it might bring you instantly, but you forget what God has given you. 
And sometimes we forget the things that God has given us. In Philippians chapter 4 and verse 19 it says, But God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. God will give you what you need. And sometimes we forget to be thankful and that's why we reach for the things of our lust. This reminds me of a, a song I listened to many times when I was younger. It's called, I Just Want to Thank You, Lord, by the Rochesters. And it goes like this. I just want to thank you, Lord. I just want to thank you, Lord, for every for everything you've done for me. Thank you, Lord. I just want to thank you, Lord. I just want to thank you, Lord, for making me whole, saving my soul. Thank you, Lord. And it goes on to say, making the sun to shine, putting the stars in the sky, flowers that bloom, Oceans so blue, I just want to thank you, Lord. And for someone who was a king, don't you think there was a lot of things that he had? He was standing in a house that was probably bigger than anyone else's and he'd forgotten what God had given him. He was the king. He could have died many times. Saul could have taken his life, but God had made sure that he was still going to be the king. It is said that he already had eight wives and Bathsheba was number nine. He could have picked anyone that wasn't married. He probably had more riches than anyone else in the land. It doesn't say that his family was unstable, but we know in Second Samuel chapter 12 and verse 2, uh, 2 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 10, the sword never left his house after. And I want to challenge you tonight. We're all going to face temptations and sometimes we're going to, we're going to give in to them. And it's important that we confess our sin and we, we, we do it as soon as possible so we don't you know, let the stain grow deeper and wider. But something that can maybe help us not make that mistake is think about what we have. Think about what God has given you. Think about... What you could lose if you give in to your temptation. Is your life going to change like David because he gave in to his temptation? Are you never ever going to be able to do things or never ever be able to say things and mean something? Because you didn't realise what you have and you gave in. Sad fact is, we all know people that have come to these crossroads. Some, it's small. Some, it's bigger. And I say this with great regret, and I try to say it in the nicest way possible. There's nothing great about going to different churches and, you know, 
it's good to be faithful within one church and just because you have gone to other churches over the process of your life. Sometimes it's the way that God leads us. But I myself, one of the pastors that I graduated when I went to school, when they had a church school, he's no longer in ministry because he gave in to temptation. He no longer can have the influence that he once had because he gave in to temptation. And I say that somberly, and, and I look at that myself when I face temptation and say, do you want to be a statistic or do you want to bring glory to God? And you might say to me, well, you're only 31. Given another 30 years, see what happens. It's true. I'm only 31. Still young. Plenty of time to make plenty of mistakes. And maybe you might be able to tap me on the shoulder and say, Brother, you said to me, you've got to remember what God has given you. You remembered? You got it? Okay, thanks. Thanks. It's important. There's nothing wrong with saying to someone, just think about what God's given you. You're going you're gonna to let it all go? Oh, but I thought it was pretty good. Yeah. So do most people when they buy certain cars and they find out they don't work. I did buy a car and it works fine. Don't second guess that. <laughs> um, but we've got to thank the Lord for what he's given us. And don't sacrifice that which is good. Because whatever Satan's going to give you is going to be rotten, it's going to look beautiful, and it's going to go splat in your face. And one last verse before we close is Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 23. Just so we remember. Whoa. Okay. Proverbs Chapter 23 and verse 23. This is just a little reminder to us of that last point. Buy the truth and sell it not. Buy the truth and sell it not. What circumstances make us vulnerable in falling to temptation? Being out of routine, being weary and restless, being alone. Why don't we... Flee temptation, we think we can overcome it. We don't really see it as a problem. What do we need to do when we fall into temptation? Own it, take responsibility. And what's going to also help us is if we remember what God has given us. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to look at your word.